Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. This week, we're covering land management and private land hunting strategies. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, so this week, you know, led into uh, from last week, you know, I focused on you know, kind of the public land side of kind of what my tactics and, you know, thought processes when I approach public land hunting. For this episode, I'm going to focus on more on the private land side. You know, that is what I spent a good majority of, you know, my hunting in the past few years, you know, focusing on, especially working on, you know, habitat improvement, you know, doing land management type stuff to try to improve my hunting. And in doing so, I certainly went through a transformation of my knowledge and kind of what my goals were for, um, you know, each year and essentially kind of, you know, how I approached the whole process. You know, starting out, it was simply, you know, try to improve my odds of getting a deer. Um, And now it's certainly transitioned more to, you know, trying to improve the habitat overall. You know, certainly still the head that baseline you know drive to make sure that you know you know they are huntable in the fall you know that's certainly you know one of the top priorities but it's not the only priority anymore um focusing a lot more on you know worrying about other species and just an overall good landscape on the property essentially so this really all began uh back in 2014 i was you know my dad would sit up in the top field um, overlooking the bigger field um, and then I would typically sit in the bottom field um, it's a little bit smaller it was certainly um, you know the bottom field had never really been farmed in any way or or worked up worked in any way um, essentially as far as back I could remember um, so at that point it probably been a good 15 maybe even 20 years since it was last worked on you know in years past I would just sit kind of on the ground along the fence line and hunt that way well i ended up put hanging up a, a two-man uh ladder tree stand that i had had before uh, for a good number of years i'd had set that up and kind of where i usually would sit on the ground uh, long story short i ended up killing um that opening day uh, for rifle season the biggest buck i've ever killed um actually to date yet you know and that kind of so that jump started you know my motivation for the following year to try to you know, do some type of food plot, try planting some crops and whatnot to be able to hunt off of um, the following year. And, you know, I certainly did not know anything about, <laughs> really about doing that type of farming or, you know, f- the food plot process at all. You know, essentially, long story short, it, w- it I ended up uh, renting um, like a pretty heavy duty tiller you know, kind of like a walk behind tiller. And I uh, I basically picked out two different spots. Um, one essentially along like where the creek bottom is and then one closer to where my stand was kind of in the back corner of the property. And with this ground not being worked up before, I think I, it was a, certainly an all day process and I maybe got a half acre worth of ground kind of scratched up a little bit it wasn't even completely tilled in and what what to make matters worse essentially is that it was middle of june when i was doing this and so it was super hot super dry and you know it was basically the wrong time of year to be doing this type of thing because what i ended up doing is i ended up planting in the middle of june uh, basically it was a i think it was a like a brassica blend or something like that no rain in the forecast you know i didn't even think about you know needing rain right away when i planted i just threw it down there again the ground wasn't completely tilled up so there's still plenty of grass and everything like that that was hanging out and everything like that so sure enough you know what i had the seeds i threw down didn't grow some grasses and other weeds came up and overtook the area that i kind of cleaned up so then we jump forward to 2016 we ended up you know kind of uh, had a little bit more knowledge. We ended up clearing out a lot of the old, the saplings that were growing up in the old field, essentially. So we took care of a lot of 
autumn olive that was growing and some like smaller pine trees that were starting to grow in there you know we either pulled them all out or cut them down just to clear that field out we had the field basically the complete the field completely tilled up everything tilled under with a tractor with a big old disc behind it uh, we had some soybean that we were going to plant limited knowledge of what we were doing we didn't have nearly enough seed i think we had basically i think it was either a 50 pound bag or maybe we had 100 pounds worth um, and, it, and we were going to try to cover essentially four acres of ground with it we really weren't using the forecast properly you know i i don't even i don't even think there's any mention of if there's rain in the forecast or not we just picked a, a day that everyone could go out there we planned everything and sure enough you know i really don't even recall any of that soybean really making it you know again and not really knowing that you know just how much of a draw those soybeans would have you know early on that they probably got completely browsed down to nothing um, before we even really noticed that there was anything there and then again same thing a lot of the weeds and other grasses came up with that tillage you know a whole new set of uh, seeds that you know had a chance to grow now so again another one of those failed kind of food plot processes you know we basically still hunted the ground as though it uh, you know essentially we had you know our designated blinds or you know hunting spots or for rifle season um, and I actually was still trying to more or less you know bow hunt out of those spots um, with not much success so in 2017 uh, again we ended up getting a little bit better at what we were doing a little bit more knowledgeable I ended up uh, buying basically a little two-wheel drive four-wheeler um, and a little tow behind you know basically a home manufactured little four disc little that i had purchased from a guy that you know kind of worked on those type of things and was selling them on craigslist so till that tilled up about an acres worth of ground and we ended up planting clover in the springtime i think it was i think it was about may time in may when we planted so a perfectly good time for planting clover which came in quite good you know i was able to essentially uh, before I did any tilling, I did go through with basically a little hand pump, you know, tank sprayer um, and sprayed the area as best I could and then and then ended up doing the tilling and then we did fertilizing. I don't even remember if we really did a soil sample that year. At least I certainly don't have any records of any soil samples um, back then. So I think we ended up just picking up a bunch of like triple 19 or something like that and laid it out without having the proper soil sample who knows you know how much benefit that was but then i ended up uh, in one corner of that bottom field it was kind of tucked in the corner where the kind of the creek bottom is and where some of the larger mature trees and whatnot were in there you know part of the cedars and where the creek ran through i did end up you know in the late summer i did till up about a somewhere between a quarter to a half acre uh, plot where you know basically it was going to be my fall plot I did end up planting a, uh, like some form of brassica blend again I don't remember and that actually did quite well um, you know it came it was coming in really good and it hit about mid-September and then the deer just started hammering it uh, it looked like you know basically I went there one day and it looked like somebody went through the lawnmower because the tops of all the fresh greenery was all mowed down uh, to essentially all about the same height. And so I had a trail camera put up there and there's a ton of deer in there. You know, basically as soon as all those bucks went to Hardhorn, they used that area. Um, it seemed like where they're just kind of sparring um, and kind of doing that, you know, kind of figuring out that pecking order and whatnot because they were in there for essentially an entire weekend, both during daylight and you know in the evenings and throughout the night um, where you could see that they were all sparring and whatnot so that was really my first real food plot that actually came in quite well um, at least with in regards to you know a fall food plot so I ended up hunting that but it was really tough basically for two main reasons first off where the plot was you know basically I was walking through you know essentially had crossed the entire property to get to the stand 
So, and I end up like basically walking through the creek bottom to get to this stand. So my access in and out to this spot uh, was really bad, but I didn't know that at the time. I just thought, hey, this is the spot. This is where they want to be. Because at that point, I still, you know, I kind of knew about watching which direction my wind, the wind was blowing, but I really didn't, I couldn't use it or put it into practice all that well. And then I also thinking about, you know, access and coming through, you know, basically I have no idea how many deer I bumped out of the area or knew that I had come into the area uh, to hunt, you know, essentially, you know, where this plot was, it was the back corner of the property. And I would just cut right through the, basically the middle of the property to get to it. Just taking the quickest and easiest route in there. And then the second thing that ended up being a problem is that because of how close it was to essentially the creek and you know kind of that the swamp bottom area you know once we started getting that higher moisture or higher precipitation i should say uh in the fall it ended up getting very muddy almost to the point where it was flooded out and then by mid to to late fall it was you know at some points almost completely underwater because of the you know the amount of you know moisture and rain uh, and being in that lowland area so that was a tough part to or tough area to hunt even though it had a significant amount of traction there you know i didn't end up having much success there i did take a shot at a doe which you know unfortunately i wasn't able to harvest her she uh you know i ended up taking the shot and i must have hit her right in the shoulder because basically the where the broadhead meets the arrow it broke off right there zero penetration and the deer ran off and you know never recovered it and then on the top field you know basically because we would known that historically you know deer would be up in there in that area as well basically crossing across that big top field trying to get across the property so i did have um, a couple of tree stands up there that i did move around quite a bit um, i actually probably moved them too often uh, essentially primarily I say that because these were not you know mobile type tree stands they were you know big heavy duty metal tree stands with big old you know metal climbing ladders with them so it would be you know basically a half a day process of moving a tree stand around making all sorts of racket leaving all sorts of scent around um, but I was basically just trying to follow behind the deer wherever I saw the most movement I tried moving the tree stand there and again, with me not knowing, you know, proper access or scent control or, you know, being able to really understand how to play the wind and whatnot, uh, it never really worked out. You know, I saw a good number of deer, but never really any that came into a good shooting range or anything like that. So, and then we move on to like 2018 again, picked up some more knowledge, a little bit better techniques and, you know, know how to, how to be able to plant and you know a little bit better of understanding of how the property works and how to hunt it a little bit better so we still end up having the clover plot uh, that we had planted the year before you know that was really good there were some other grasses and weeds that came in but i would essentially mow it uh, essentially twice a year just to help cut down on those weeds and whatnot and i did end up trying to expand that field as well to essentially add in a basically alfalfa to the other side of that field and then in the middle I tried doing a about an acre or it was a little less than an acre plot of soybean as well in the spring again better technique being able to prep the, prep the soil prep the ground got everything turned up to where I had a good seed bed planted the soybean and the alfalfa as you can imagine that soybean, as soon as it started getting a few inches tall, the deer just came through, mowed it all down. And then the alfalfa, you know, had never really planted before. It, it seemed like it essentially didn't really come up all that well. You know, it, it, it didn't look like I got good germination and I thought it was a complete flop, which, you know, the following year I ended up learning that, you know, I probably should have just, you know, hung on to that alfalfa because it did come in much stronger that following year. Um, but I had already made separate plans for it. And then again, basically with that uh, that fall plot that I tried planting, you know, basically 
you know, haven't seen that the deer basically mowed it all down to the ground last, you know, the year before. I end up expanding it a little bit, trying to make it bigger, trying to get a little bit more of an area. Hopefully this, you know, provide more food that way it wouldn't get, you know, completely, you know, eaten down to the ground again. And then again, I did a lot more of moving around my tree stands. You know, I kind of, you know, picked up on, all right, you know, the deer moving here and here. So I ended up moving the stands around quite a bit. Again, I was getting really good at putting that stand, you know, in the right area, but not in the right spot. Um, so I could get in the area where the deer were moving from, but it was either I was a little bit too far away or, you know, their avenue approach, they ended up winning me. So I was getting better, but I still, it still didn't click yet. And again, I ended up in that, you know, in that back corner food plot though same thing kind of happened you know not much success and even more so i noticed that there there was a flooding issue back there so i tried hunting it not much success you know and then for that year you know the only thing i had harvested off the farm was a doe and i if i remember correctly it was the last day of bow season that i was able to harvest her so it came down to the wire essentially you know there's so much potential there but I just didn't have it narrowed down to really how to hunt the, the property all that well yet. So now we're moving on to 2019. This is when things started to click for me a little bit. Started to figure it out quite a bit more. Yeah, I still wanted to experiment a little bit on how to you know get the most bang out of my or bang bang for your buck uh, with the food plots and whatnot. And then I started narrowing down some better stand locations. Basically, I'm moving a little bit more out of the center of the property or making sure that I'm not cutting through the middle of the property to get to my stands. You know, I'm using the perimeters of the property um, or even end up getting permission to be able to essentially use the neighbor's property on the backside to be able to access uh, my you know, spots in the backfield as well. So for the food plot, again, that was primarily the thing that I was basically, you know, trying to work at, you know, basically trying to get, you know, more food, better food for the deer. So I ended up on the bottom field, you know, basically knowing that, hey, can't do soybean, they just won't last, the alfalfa looks like it was a wash. The clover plot at this point is starting to get overrun with a lot more weeds and grass are starting to take over. So I decided it's time that we do something different, terminate that clover, till it under, and try something else. So basically at this point I've started following with Whitetail Habitat Solutions and his process of you know planting food plots. You know basically um, he does essentially like a you know within the same plot he'll split it up into two He'll do essentially his brassicas on one side, and then he does another blend with seal, seal grains and uh, peas and soybean on the other half. And then every year he'll flip flop those two um, just to keep a little bit of a rotation. But he always wants to try to you know keep that same uh, blend together um, just so we get that pattern of use essentially. So I end up where I had that or where I had the clover I end up having that be one plot and then on the other side of the field where I had tried to do the alfalfa I did another plot there and essentially did the same thing I did brassicas half half on half on each of those plots and then the cereal cereal grains and peas on the other now the one thing that I didn't do is I didn't essentially go off of the exact breakdown of you know the blends of the seeds that that Jeff really recommends. I end up you know going with another seed company thinking like hey it's got the same stuff that he's talking about it should be good to go. But one thing I ran into is that with that seed company the amount of essentially peas that they put in it were unfortunately it was not nearly sufficient enough basically greatly underseeded where there was very few plants that really came up that I could see like oh there's a pea plant there's a pea plant 
So that really got me going on the process of, okay, I need to start looking at these blends from these seed companies and seeing exactly what's in them, what's the breakdown, you know, how much of each seed or what percentage of each seed is in these bags. Cause it does seem like, you know, sometimes they're not exactly what they're, you know, what they're selling them as in regards to, you know, how much of certain seeds that they're really advertising is in there and is it really worth it? So I really started paying attention to those labels of those different seed blends, seeing what the breakdown was, seeing what the germination rates were, you know, making sure that I was getting the the mix of the seed that I really was looking for, as well as, you know, making sure that, you know, these, you know, bags of seed didn't have other things in it that I really wasn't looking for. Like if they were, you know, at that point, I really started focusing on more of getting away from a lot of the seeds that have that, you know, inoculants or, you know, coated seeds and whatnot. Yes, they're great because they're easier to see when you're spreading them because they usually use bright colors, but you end up losing a lot of seeds because that additional weight of those coatings take away from the amount of seed that you can get in a bag. So you end up paying for stuff that's not really seeds as well. So that was what, the next thing I was really looking at is, okay, where can I get these seeds that don't have all this additional stuff in these bags that I don't want? And then basically between those two different fields, I ended up trying doing a strip of corn in there. It was a little less than an acre at this point. It came up, but because it was really the only corn in the area, you know, any corn that, you know, tried developing the deer and other critters completely demolished it before it really even had a chance. And then that, my old fall plot that I had, you know, tried hunting in the past that just kept getting flooded out. You know, basically I was like, just deciding to turn it into like a spring plot, just throw out some clover, some chicory, and then just let it go at this point. I, at this point, I really determined that it's something that I can't really hunt, but hey, I've already kind of prepped the ground and whatnot. Let's just throw some food out there that maybe they can use as part of their transition area, and then just move on. And then this is the year when I ended up deciding that it was time to actually build myself uh, uh, you know, basically a blind area. So I end up moving off of the one corner that where I would hunt before, and I end up going basically to the far back part of the of the property, so I could overlook the entire back field, and then that way I could still have good access to where where I could potentially still hunt on this location with my bow as well, being close to a little bit more of the cover towards one corner of the field. So I ended up building a, you know, a platform and essentially I didn't have quite enough money to be able to build the entire blind. So I just basically threw my pop-up line on top of that. And that's what I hunted out for the year. And the one thing I did forget to talk about when I did that blend essentially for my fall plots, on one of them, I had completely tilled up and you know prepped the soil or the seed bed that way the other one that was a little bit closer to where i had built my blind or my blind platform i should say i ended up basically doing half the plot where i had it completely tilled and the other half i did basically a test of doing more or less like a no-till style so i ended up when i had planted i had half the half that plot was tilled the other half wasn't I end up seeding and then coming through with my four-wheeler with some herbicide killed all the green vegetation on the other half that I didn't till just to see you know basically how well it would do you know there's there I'd heard some talk or people talking about doing no-till food plotting and stuff like that uh, so I basically just wanted to test it out for myself, see how it did. And surprisingly, it did well. You know, it didn't come in quite as thick as the till portion, but I didn't have any additional weeds or grasses coming up as well. So by not breaking up that soil, I learned, hey, by if you leave the soil as it is or the ground as it is, then you're not going to be bringing up more weed seeds or grass seeds that are going to compete with your 
with whatever you're planting as much. So that brings us to last year, 2020, and that's when everything seemed to come together. You know, it was I had made the decision that I was going to do completely no-till. So I ended up basically keeping those two different food plots. In that middle section where I tried planting corn the year before, I essentially planted a soil builder blend. It had, you know, different cereal, cereal grains. Uh, it actually had some brassicas in there, sunflower. Oh, I don't even remember all the rest of it. But it did have some taller things in there. You know, basically I wanted to use it as a, a soil builder and then also as a bit of like a screening or basically a little break in between those two plots. Um, that way the deer couldn't necessarily, you know, look all the way across the plot there or look all the way across the field, I should say, you know, and be able to see if there's any deer in there. Now, I kind of wanted it to be, you know, the two separate plots and a deer would have to travel from one to the other if they wanted to check out that field. So when I did do the same, uh, basically the blend of um, for each of those two fields. So again, both of them were half and half, half brassicas. The other half I had actually, you know, basically bought the same blend that uh, Jeff uses that he buys. It's the basically the uh, White Tail Habitat Solutions blend. So it had a much higher concentration of, you know, peas and beans in it. And it was a much higher seed rate. You know, that blend you look at is basically 50 pounds per acre that you that you do, if not up to 100 pounds per acre. And then I did, you know, focus on, you know, moving stand locations more or less to a final location here. You know, after hunting this property for a number of years now, I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp of you know the deer movement where where they move to where the basically where that highest concentration of that movement is you know essentially with that quick bottom run through in the middle of the property you know that's one hot spot because they use that as that transition um, to be able to get across the parcel and still be within that significant cover or the deer that do not bet on the property that are coming from you know the other two ends of the property essentially they're coming from their beds, coming onto the property. So I'm on those other edges, you know, basically catching those deer as they come on to the property or as they're trying to leave um, the other sections where they head, you know, heading into their beddings, bedding areas that are, you know, on other, on other properties there. And then one of the stands is actually where I end up shooting my buck last year. I'll, this was actually pretty special for me because this is actually the very first buck I've ever shot with a bow. You know, in my years of bowing, I've gotten a, you know several does, but I had yet to, you know, seal the deal on getting a buck with a bow. So I was extremely happy with them. You know, it was basically one of those deals where, you know, it kind of caught me by surprise. He come up out of the creek bottom, came right up to the edge of the field. You know, basically, I'm, I'm assuming he was looking for does, you know, seeing what else was out in the field. And he just so happened to be, you know, within 20 yards standing broadside, and I was able to get a shot at him. But basically, what their stand was located on was at one corner of the top field, right on the edge of where the creek bottom is. So essentially, I'm up on this plateau of the field, and then it drops off into the creek bottom and I'm right on the inside corner of where the creek bottom is and then some hardwoods on the edge of the field there. And essentially what the deer do is they cut through that creek bottom, they either take the bend around that corner of the field and head into the hardwoods or they continue on into the creek bottom onto the next parcel. You know, and I basically kind of learned this by having a trail camera just inside the woods there because there was a significant trail during the summertime and I had placed a camera in there and that you know continued to be you know the pattern of movement even into the fall because basically m the good majority of the deer aren't wanting to you know cross across cross that you know big open field so they stay into that 
creek bottom and then they can turn up and go around that way so it became a really you know busy hub of movement throughout the summer and even throughout the whole rest of the year even and then the other thing i was really looking at with you know with the property is am i seeing an improvement in you know the deer herd essentially you know am i seeing you know more deer better deer are the deer healthy you know at this point you know i've been working on you know providing food for these deer and you know basically i'm trying to care for these deer that i'm ultimately trying to hunt as well you know essentially that if it's a deer not i'm not hunting then i want to be able to eat as much as it can be healthy throughout the winter and that way is you know does well you know comes out of the winter healthy and is in a good shape come springtime as well you know basically i'm really rooting for these deer uh to be in the best shape they can you know and being almost very protective of them you know and i did see an improvement there were actually uh, two if not three does that had twins um throughout the year and they actually it's it from from my observations it seemed like all or all those fawns actually uh, made it through and were quite healthy um, and you know checking the pictures you know so far this spring and summer it does look like a good majority of those fawns uh, did make through the winter and on to their next year now but the one thing i did notice though is that with the food plots becoming much better and producing more food and and those deer you know having learned where those food plots are essentially knowing that hey this time of year there's foods here i noticed a, a drastic increase in the number of deer uh, you know basically in years past you see onesie twosie maybe one doe family group come through well last year you know it was i think it was mid to early october i had sitting i was sitting in my blind overlooking the food plots in the in the bottom field there and you know ultimately by the end of the sit for that night i kind of lost count of number of deer at 17. you know basically it started getting dark but i could still see that there were more deer coming in so i had essentially 17 plus deer in just a couple acre food plots and that was the most i'd ever seen you know basically coming in you know to the field ever which wouldn't be so bad but a lot of those deer end up spending the entire night in those food plots so with the number of deer in there as you can imagine those food plots got overgrazed quite a bit to where a good majority of the food plot was no longer available come late fall and throughout the winter now fortunately you know because of that blend with the seal grains and whatnot that I actually did end up because of the you know the significant browse I end up did throwing out um, you know a couple hundred pounds of rye just to fill in the gaps of where they had eaten everything down the dirt just try to supplement that food plot hopefully to you know that it would provide for them throughout the winter and then the other thing that was of interest last year is that a farmer had planted corn in the top field last year where uh, he had tried planting a couple years back he only done a little 10 acre section and it really didn't come in all that well well unfortunately again he didn't have any success he ended up again i don't know if he just planted too late or it just got overtaken with weeds or the just the soil wasn't you know essentially prepped for corn but he ended up had planted the entire top field in corn and again unfortunately any corn that was um you know coming in you know the deer and all the other critters end up destroying it before it had a chance to um, really develop and he was unable to harvest any of the corn so even with that those deer did spend a significant amount of time you know in my food plots and basically ate ate me out of house and home essentially so last year i ended up you know basically learning quite a bit about you know or trying to come up with a solution to be able to provide enough food and have it 
you know, have it to where I'm not having to plant, you know, tons and tons of acres of, you know, food plot just so I can feed these deer to where they're not overgrazing. So, you know, basically trying to brainstorm on how to do that and and not have to, in, you know, drastically increase the amount of acres that I'm planting simply just for, you know, cost effectiveness. You know, if anyone that has planted food plots before know that if you're doing soil samples and making sure that your lime and fertilizing and the seed, you know, all those things aren't that cheap, especially the more that you increase in your, the size of the, your operation. So I wanted to try to, you know, think of ways to be able to increase food without having to drastically increase, you know, the amount of fields I have to do. So what do you start looking at then? You're looking at if you're doing soft mass. So like if you add fruit trees, which unless you're buying, you know, fully mature trees, that's going to take a while. You can, again, look at hard mass trees. If you have any available, try to promote that type of growth. Or the other one is increase the amount of browse for them. And that's kind of what I settled on. So I ended up listening to, um, it was basically the the Land and Legacy podcast. You know, this is a couple guys that, you know, are consultants and they really focus on uh, timber management and essentially uh, using native plants uh, to provide food and cover for for more or less just wildlife in general. You know, they do focus more on deer, turkey, and quail. You know, those seem to be the ones that they really talk about the most. But overall, they're looking at just overall, you know, good habitat over, you know, across the landscape. And the thing that they really talk about is, you know, utilizing essentially a chainsaw to open up, you know, parts of your woods. If you've got a lot of mature trees with not much undergrowth, or essentially if it's open, open hardwoods where you can, you know, look into the wood lot and see all the way across it, then there's really not that much there for deer or, or essentially a lot of other wildlife um, without any additional, you know, regrowth or, you know, basically forage that's growing up underneath those, you know, those hardwoods. So I did spend a significant amount of time, you know, basically cutting out a little thicket. It ended up being probably somewhere around a half acre or so. Um, and basically removing all the dead ash out of there and dropping a lot of the larger popple trees um, that, you know, essentially are overtaking the entire canopy and end up quite a few of them were actually starting to rot out in the center of them. So they would have, you know, been falling, you know, here shortly anyways. So by allowing, you know, getting the ash out of there, which I still actually have to pull it out of the woods there and bring it up the house to be able to use as firewood. But a lot of those popples, I either, you know, some of them I cut up and made into essentially like little brush piles and other ones I just dropped and left them as a full tree, let the tops lay there as cover. I did end up some of the smaller undergrowth trees. I did cut a couple of them into hinge cuts to be able to provide additional cover, you know, basically having that side cover and whatnot. And then hopefully they, you know, survive and produce, you know, still producing foliage uh, and hopefully provide some additional browse. You know, the goal is to increase the cover in that area, hopefully make them or have them use that as a bedding area. And then also allow for a lot of new growth, which has already come up quite a bit, you know, allowing that sunlight to penetrate down to the forest floor. You're getting a lot of new grasses and like forbs growing up, as well as a lot of the stumps that I've cut are starting to sprout, you know, new growth. And hopefully by doing that, it increases the amount of browse that you have. And hopefully that takes a little bit of the pressure off those food plots. So it's basically a twofold um, goal with, with these cuttings. One, I'm trying to increase the amount of cover on the property because it's about an 80 acre or it is an 80 acre parcel. And it only has maybe about 20 acres worth of cover. The rest is all open field. 
So a good majority of the deer aren't even betting on the property. They bet on the adjacent property. So I'm trying to increase uh, the cover that I have available to work with. Hopefully that some of those deer will bet on the property. And again, with that additional new growth and whatnot, hopefully that increases the amount of browse available and additional food for them. So where they're not spending as much time in the food plots or hopefully their belly's a little bit full before they make out the food plots and graze all night long. And then with working on, you know, doing the no-till and, you know, doing those different blends and that soil builder blend that I did, you know, the goal with that is to one, increase, or I guess improve soil quality, which that's a lot of people are talking about that now. But basically, again, two main goals with that. One, to be able to make sure that the soil is in good quality to be able to produce better food plants. And two, by having better soil, you know, hopefully, you know, be able to decrease the amount of inputs I have to put in. So less lime, less fertilizer needed. And by doing that no-till, I'm hoping to be able to increase the organic matter as well. Now, again, depending on your process, how you do that, it can be a very slow process, especially uh, for this part of Michigan where I'm at, there's a lot of sand, so it is very difficult to be able to build up that soil to where kind of what the goal is. You know, essentially, you want it to be, um, to my understanding, somewhere, you know, ideally somewhere around 5%. And, you know, for this part of the state, you know, that's very, very difficult to get to unless you're in an area that, you know, there was already a lot of work put into it to ensure that the soil quality stayed good. So, and then of course the benefits of, you know, that organic matter, you know, being in that soil helps build that up to where you have better nutrients, better moisture control, where, you know, if you do get a heavy rain, that organic matter can help soak up that moisture to where you're not flooding out your field. And then that organic matter also will retain that water as well. So what rain you get, if you start running into a drought, that will hold more moisture longer. But I did run into this year uh, a couple of hiccups with with my plantings. So the soil sample looks better. However, because of my process, essentially what I end up doing is, you know, basically in first of June, I end up planting a summer cover crop, which I kind of forgot to cover this last or for the year before I did do that same process um, where essentially first of June I planted a cover crop uh, I've been planting essentially straight buckwheat as my cover crop and last year worked quite well aside from I did have some grasses and when I come up with it uh, but it but when it came to plant the fall plot I was able to terminate those grasses along with the buckwheat and they actually laid down quite nicely with the seeds underneath that thatch. But the problem I'm running to do this year is by having all that thatch laying on top, um, by not tilling it under or you know breaking up that soil in any way, there's some parts of the food plots now where the thatch is so thick and it hasn't broken down nearly fast enough that there are parts where I can't get good seed to soil contact you know, with just broadcasting. That's one thing that I have to consider what I'm going to do to correct that, you know, for this fall, as well as in years going forward. You know, I'd like to be able to do as much, you know, no-till or not breaking up that soil as much as possible. But if I can't get the thatch and, you know, the growth from the other, you know, the cover crop, as well as from my fall plots down, you know, I could certainly spray them early and whatnot. But again, the whole goal of, you know, not doing, you know, the tillage and by allowing a cover crop to come in when I'm still trying to build up that organic matter um, and still keeping the ground covered essentially to help, you know, basically following those, those principles of good soil health by keeping, you know, a living plant on as much as possible, not tilling it up, not breaking it up with basically just broadcasting the seeds out 
you know, it is making it much more difficult. Now, if I had like a drill or something like that, that could, you know, cut through that thatch and get down to the soil to be able to drop the seed in, you know, that would be, you know, another thing where I could just, you know, run the, run the planter, get the seed to soil contact I need and still keep that thatch. But I don't have a, a planter available. So I'm still using just broadcast technique. So this year I am going to basically till up the, the food plots to be able to plant my fall plot. So it wasn't ideal, but it's something that I think I need to do uh, just to make sure that, you know, I get good germination for this fall plot. I don't want to end up to where the thatch is so thick to where I can't, you know, get the seed down to the ground and have a, and have a crop essentially for this fall. So that's one thing that I will look into uh, the following spring is when I do my soil sample again to see if I notice any change or any drop in any of the organic matter or you know basically if I see a change for the worse in that soil sample um, by breaking up that ground and whatnot. So that will be essentially one thing that I'll be just kind of keep keeping an eye on. Um, you know basically you know I want to focus on you know the soil health side but I also need to be practical in what I do and making sure that I can actually you know get a food plot put in with the essentially the tools that I have available and then now I'm actually for this year I'm actually creating my own blend of seeds essentially so I really want to make sure I get a diverse blend now you know there's kind of there's probably more than two camps but there's basically two kind of camps um with doing a blend of what i'm doing basically i'm going to be mixing a lot of you know the seal grains brassicas clovers you know basically kind of blending them all together and throwing them out there all in one group now there are some that will say that you don't want to do that you know basically that by doing those blends, you can have some competition come in to where you may not get as big of a yield out of out of the that plot. So quite similar to kind of why in the years past you'd have the brassicas on one side and those cereal grains on the other. You know, the idea with that is is that by having that monoculture or more of a monoculture with that setup potentially you know those brassicas are going to perform better because you know they're not compete with any other type of plants or anything like that and that as long as you do the proper seed rate you know they're not going to crowd with each other now the other side of the aisle is that you know by having different plant communities together from different families then you can actually have you know some plants you know something like the clovers or little gooms and whatnot they could be pulling you know, nitrogen out of the atmosphere put in the ground right next to your brassicas that are heavy nitrogen dependent. So you could actually have those plants interact with each other and actually work with each other a little bit and have a overall better plant community. So it just kind of depends on what side of that aisle that you want to stand on um, or those two camps essentially um, on how you go forward. But again, so yeah, I'm doing up my own blend, you know, basically you know some of those and there's not a lot of seed companies that are doing these more drastic blends with you know 10 you know 10 plus different seed varieties all in one bag you know there's a few out there but not a lot so basically i looked at can i use some of these other seeds um that may not have the significant blends you know, pick up one bag of one thing, one bag of another thing, blend them together and have my blend. The downfall with that is a lot of the seed companies um, that have, you know, more, you know, targeted blends, a lot of them don't have, you know, basically the, the bulk, you know, to be doing much larger. You know, if you look at the stores, a lot of the different seed companies you know, most of them are targeted for either a quarter size or quarter acre size plot or a half acre size plot, you know, with some of these blends. Now, if, you, if you're looking at something like a straight clover or something like that, then you can get larger bags. Or if you're looking at, you know, basically, you know, cereal grains, you can get like a 50 pound bag of them. 
but if you want to get into blends you know they downsize those bag sizes quite a bit now there's others that you know are doing some of these larger blends and they are a little bit more in the bulk size so if you're looking at doing an acre or plus or acre or plus then you know you can you know get those you know blends unfortunately you know in my area there's none there's no company in the area that's really doing that so I have to do one of two things either drive to go get it or have to get it shipped in when you're doing with bulk you're paying quite a bit in shipping as well and then the other thing I'm looking at is that some of those blends are still quite expensive you know overall you know the one blend that I'm looking at for the amount of you know acreage I'm gonna be doing um, throughout the property and you know it's looking at roughly around five hundred dollars for everything I need just for the seed alone that's a little bit bigger price tag than I want to spend so basically I'm gonna be going through local seed company build my own blend initial look it should be cheaper by quite a bit primarily because I'm not having to pay for shipping or have any and by having and building that blend myself I should be able to save on each of the different seeds and save on the you know total seed cost altogether I still need to you know go to this go to the seed store and be able to basically price everything out or finalize the pricing of everything to make sure that I am gonna save money on that but that's one thing that I'm gonna be trying this year the one thing I'm very hesitant on though is I don't know exactly how much of each seed should really be put together or how or the you know the breakdown of the different types of plants you know how much of each one to where I get good coverage but then I'm not over overseeding essentially so this is going to be a bit of experiment doing this build my own blend essentially so we'll just have to see how that goes and then the other big lesson that I learned from last year is moving my trail cameras off those field edges off those food plots essentially for the most part anyways you know I, w I do have at least one trail camera on my main food plot essentially on the side where my blind is just so I can kind of get an idea like okay are there deer coming into the food plot what time are they coming in is it during daylight is it after dark just so I get an idea of okay when are they coming into the field roughly but a good majority of the trail cameras I've ran on the on the farm now is primarily in the woods or on those main trails there's one actually main one that I basically have run year-round now where it's just inside the woods off the main two track that goes that gets you down to the bomb field and there are deer that are using that trail or you know walking through that creek bottom essentially all day long you know I was actually just going through my pictures today of pulling pulling the car today and um, you know someone was down at the pond or had walked down the two track to go fish out of the pond while after they walked down a young buck crossed that trail and came through and then about an hour later the guy came back up from fishing and went in front of the camera so and that was essentially I believe it was somewhere around like 10 a.m. when all that happened so there's been you know even with human presence they're still traveling through there um, and still feeling comfortable coming through there so that's why I'm focusing on more of keeping the cameras in the woods on those main trails and those corridors you know if there's an area that looks like it's a bedding area you know keeping it more in the cover because you'll get a much better picture of what deer are there how they're traveling when they're traveling you'll get that a lot better than overlooking the field or just catching one corner of a field you know basically you're looking at try to put those cameras where you think the highest concentration of the deer will be where you can capture the most movement and then the other thing that will be another basically a thing to look at is they right across the property now there's about 40 acres of corn that has been planted um, it looks like it's coming quite well so it does look like there's going to be a significant amount of corn um, off the property so it'll be interested to see how that affects the deer movement um, especially too like 
if or when they decide to harvest, you know, what that time frame does and how that shifts that deer movement. Um, I am very curious to see how that how that plays out. And then basically I've already, you know, kind of made a checklist of things that I need to focus on more um, either throughout the rest of this year and heading into next year. And again, this is kind of where I've transitioned more to looking at the bigger picture of the property and trying to make it the best habitat I can overall. So those key points are, you know, working on or doing more timber work, clearing out any dead or dying trees, opening up the canopy a little bit, try to produce more cover and browse on the forest floor. You know, basically again, try to increase potential bedding on the property as well as increase um, the available food for browse and hopefully taking some of that pressure off my food plots to where they're more, you know, they're able to produce more and hopefully be able to sustain throughout the winter. As I've already talked, you know, looking at tilling under, you know, that fall plot in the springtime, planting my summer cover crop, and then hopefully being able to do no-till fall planting again to where hopefully by tilling in that spring, it cuts down on some of that thatch to where in when I plant in the late summer for my fall stuff, there's still plenty of open ground or at least enough uh, open ground to where it's not you know saturated with thatch to where I can't get good seed to soil contact. Um, so I'm gonna be probably going that route but again, that's subject to change on if you know I see any drastic uh, decrease in the soil quality, or if for whatever reason the stash breaks down a lot faster, and I'm able to get good seed soil contact without having to till. And the other thing that I'm going to get away from going forward is for my cover crop, I'm going to start mixing more of a blend and not doing just a monoculture of of buckwheat you know that buckwheat is really nice it's easy to work with but it if i'm only planting buckwheat then it still acts like a monoculture so essentially whatever nutrients that buckwheat is needing it's going to be pulling that nutrient out of the entire field to where i may have to supplement with more fertilizer you know because of one type of plant is just drawing tons of a certain nutrient out of the ground whereas hopefully by doing a blend you know i'll have a mix more of you know nutrients coming in going out and then that way too it'll be better for if there are any you know deer or other critters that are you know eating off that cover crop that they do have a little bit more of a blended you know basically you know different types of forages that they can go off of and hopefully have you know a little bit better um, you know, a food source in that regard for them. And then another big thing that has to get done again throughout either the rest of this year or moving on to uh, for next year is uh, removing invasives, primarily uh, invasive like shrubs and bushes. So essentially on this property, there's a lot of autumn olive as well as the brush honeysuckle that Again, you can make the argument that that's good cover, that that honeysuckle does produce a fruit or a little berry essentially that could be food for birds and other wildlife. But essentially a lot of the research shows that you know even those berries are produced, they're not they're not all that nutrient dense. They don't provide a lot of nutrition. You know that autumn olive and that honeysuckle does create cover that could be used for you know bedding and concealment for those deer and other wildlife but because of the invasive nature of them they spread and can actually choke out a lot of other plants and uh you know plant life essentially to where you know if you had some of it that might be okay as long as you kept under control but ultimately if if you're not controlling it it could spread to where that could be the only thing that you have on your landscape for cover so the goal is to hopefully to work on, you know, killing off a lot of or removing a lot of these uh, honeysuckles 
and Automoth to hopefully be able to allow for other growth to come in and essentially prevent that monoculture of just nothing but honeysuckle so thick that you can't walk through and it's not as beneficial to the wildlife. So by but by removing those other shrubs and whatnot, I do want to look into you know getting what would be native shrubs or other essentially especially fruit bearing you know plants that I can use as replacements. So I'm taking one fruit bearing plant out of the system. I want to try to promote another fruit bearing plant that is considered a native and one that won't be you know invasive in nature and overtake the rest of the rest of the area so again that's basically that next step of you know trying to improve the habitat overall you know with those invasives or with those types of shrubs you know they they are providing good cover for animals right now but in the long run it's something that i don't want on the property could lead to problems down the road and then the other thing that going forward is kind of reevaluating those deer numbers in the area by having you know seen that drastic increase in the number of deer uh, last year you know, we we've had a significant discussion of do we need to harvest more does off the property to try to cut down some of those deer numbers you know basically just to ensure that they're not overpopulating and again over browsing you know, hurting themselves in the long run by eating themselves out of house and home. And again, if you're looking at, you know, the QDMA kind of guidelines of, you know, buck to doe ratio, you know, it's way out of whack right now um, on the property. You know, there are a significant number of does compared to a smaller number of uh, bucks or especially mature bucks on the property around the landscape. Um, and hopefully by eliminating some of those does, it or decreases that social pressure basically allowing a little bit more room for bucks to be able to move into certain bedding areas and hopefully just allow for more room for more bucks to be able to be on that landscape. So, and that's, you know, especially with the goals for this year and, you know, heading into next year, you know, that's why I really say that, you know, when I first started doing food plots or working on land management, it was for the sole purpose to, you know, just increase my chances of getting a buck essentially. But now that I've followed up with more research and better practices, you know, ultimately if if I had the resources and whatnot, you know, I would just try to make it a wildlife essentially mecca. You know, essentially trying to give everything I could to ensure that all the wildlife in general um, has what they need. To where I'm not necessarily just focused on having, you know, great whitetail habitat. I'm looking at is it good habitat for for turkeys, for quail or grouse. Do I have plenty of pollinators so for bees and birds to be able to use? You know, I basically want to ensure that, or you know, part of the goal is to have it be the best habitat for wildlife in general, regardless of the species. I will preference that whitetail will carry a little bit more weight just because of essentially that is, you know, kind of that foundation of why I started this to begin with. So I will tend to probably lean a little bit heavier on habitat for whitetail, but it won't be to the point where it's a detriment to other, you know, other wildlife. And again, it just feels like it's been a weird transition where if I would have told myself, you know, five years ago that this is what my mindset would be, I probably would have kind of blown it off and think, yeah, okay. But it's, I think, a transition that a lot of people that, you know, work on land management for either, you know, basically for like recreational properties for hunting. You know, I think this is a natural progression that I'd imagine majority of not everyone will go through. And it's, for me, it's kind of addicting to try to take that next step every year or, you know, utilize new techniques to, you know, achieve those goals of trying to get the most you can out of the land and to have it be sustainable to where you can do it year after year after year. 
and not have things be getting worse every year, but every year getting better. Now again, I'm still new at this. I've been at it for a few years. I've spent a lot of time looking into what I can do to improve the property in general, as well as for hunting. I do a lot of testing of different strategies and different practices and different techniques. Sometimes is that a detriment to myself? Um, you know, even my dad, we walked the property today and he's, he just kind of shakes his head and it's like, yeah, you, you should have tilled us all up. There's so much thatch here. We can't even see the dirt. So it's still a learning process. I'm still nowhere near where I think I can be, but hopefully by going over this a little bit of kind of, you know, everyone goes through those growing pains. Hopefully with some of these things I've talked about are things that you can think about going forward. Hopefully you can, you know, make wise decisions going forward that works best for you and your hunting properties or your parcels. Just on a side note, even this, you know, these practices don't necessarily have to be for hunting properties. You know, I've worked on a lot of the stuff that I've learned about soil quality and, you know, basically trying to grow stuff in our own family garden even. So it is stuff that can translate into other areas as well. But again, hopefully by me going through kind of my pitfalls and things that I've, you know, ran into going over through the years of trying to, you know, do food plots and, you know, habitat management, trying to improve habitat for, you know, game species and whatnot, that hopefully you take uh, some things out of this that you can apply to your own properties and hopefully it can kind of give you a little bit of jump start and thinking of certain areas where you may have concerns about how to you know address certain issues or ways to you know really improve that you know your tactics and whatnot to be able to get the most out of it so that's kind of where i'm at with my process and hopefully i can continue to learn and i can hopefully share that with you um, that way you can have the enjoyment of making your improvements doing your you know, habitat work, planting your food plots, and have it to where it can be more efficient and effective for you.